you're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malik, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malik, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Today's episode of the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is brought to you by Dr. Timothy Hughes, the orthodontist. Y'all, Timothy was my orthodontist uh, as of today. Uh, I do not have to go see him anymore. I had my braces off for about six or seven months now. My wife loves my new smile, and it was something I probably needed when I was a kid, but for whatever reason, I think maybe my dad spent all his money on my three sisters. If you think you need braces or if you'd like a better smile, um, go see Timothy Hughes. Find him. He's right off Mills Avenue, uh, close to the intersection of Augusta Road and and Mills Avenue. And he is a great orthodontist. Well, today's guest for the show is Jeremy Webb, the Revival Butcher. And I had scheduled uh, Jeremy's visit uh, about a month out. And lo and behold, uh, 10 minutes after Jeremy and his wife Emily showed up at the farm... So did the tree guys that I'd hired maybe three months ago. <laughs> and they had kept saying, oh, we'll be there next week. We'll be there next week. We'll be there next week. And unfortunately, we have a big pine that is threatening our neighbor's garage. And so it had to come down. And, of course, these guys showed up um, right then. And so I, I couldn't turn them away because um, I said it it it'd taken several months for them to get out there. So I have done my best to edit out the sounds of all the... Um, chainsaws and chippers and the and the big trucks and the I think the show turned out fine but if you hear uh, um, any grinding noises in the background that's that's what it is so enjoy today's show we love cooking meat over an open flame and when you're ready to grill you need to see Jeremy Webb he's got a small butcher shop in the west end of Greenville and he's here today in the Tin Roof Farm studio hey, it's great to be here with you today hey the pleasure the pleasure is all mine so, Jeremy, remind us right off the bat, uh, if uh, you're new to our listeners, tell us exactly where you are. I'm uh, at 1286 Pendleton Street in the village, west end of Greenville. Right, right over there where um, GB&D is and uh, Anchorage and yes. Carol's Ice Cream. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, the cool part of town. So, Jeremy, as a, as a butcher, I mean, that's not something, as an old school butcher, that's not something you just start doing on a whim how did you get into this occupation? That's true. It's it's not whimsical. Uh, <laughs> I heard recently that a the average age of a butcher today is sixty. Um, yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> I I sort of fell into it. I started working behind a meat counter um, when I was seventeen, and I'm mm-hmm. thirty five now. Uh, I kind of did an unofficial apprenticeship under a couple of old uh, old school butchers who are both dead and gone now. Uh, but what a wealth of knowledge they were, and um, I just kind of clung on to everything I could, not even knowing at the time that it would be my my career for for the next part of my life. But I'm I'm thankful for uh, for those two guys. And so, when you said you started working at a meat counter when you were 17, where was that? It was in Greenville, South uh-huh. Carolina, 
It was uh, the old Fresh Market store that was in an old Winn-Dixie um, right. over on Pleasantburg and East North Street and um, had a full back wall meat counter and uh, two tiers and, I mean, so many different different cuts and uh, still did a lot of the, the old school stuff then. Um, not not so much prepackaged stuff yeah. as it as it kind of has come to now, but yeah, I, I can remember when the fresh market was there. It was um, in that Bilo shopping center. That's right. right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. So understand. So you end up working in, in the fresh market. You're 17, and so who was your mentor over there? A man named Armin Crane really mm-hmm. took me under his wing. He um, was just a wealth of knowledge. Sort of became an extra grandfather to me. I learned a lot more than just the skill of, of, you know, using a knife and cutting meat from him. Um, I learned how to put a roof on a barn and all <laughs> kinds of, all kinds of great, great things from this. What are you guy. doing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was, uh, just a treasure of a, of a man and, um, taught me, uh, finesse with a knife and, um, another, the other guy that took me under his wing was named Ray Williford. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also gone now. He taught me merchandising techniques, basically how to make meat make money. And uh, yeah, so it taught me some great skills, and I'm ever thankful for it. So you know, I, when I was when I was a kid, so I grew up in South Louisiana. Uh, my first real job was at a Winn Dixie, and uh, you know, of course, I was I don't know 15 or 16 or whatever. When I started doing that. I was just bagging groceries and, and doing warehouse stuff. But I remember sticking my head into the into the um, the meat department, and there was a couple old school butchers back there, big burly dudes, and they would routinely break down primal cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was quite often, and they had um, big bandsaws going and meat grinders, and and the meat and the place where they worked was always forty two degrees. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was neat. I've done a little bit of butchering, but never anything on on that scale. That's neat. So, do you have a? So I'm curious. Do you have a favorite uh, cookbook or, or charcuterie book or sausage book that you that you like that you go to? The first one that comes to mind is from Fergus Henderson, the British uh, chef. He's got a cookbook called uh, "From Tail to Snout," and uh, I like that because uh, it obviously, from the name, it involves using the entire the entire animal. So, I like that concept. Yeah, Fergus has a um, a restaurant in London called St. John's that's on my bucket list. You yeah. know, it's <laughs> when, when we had the restaurant, we had two different customers of ours um, eat at his, at his restaurant. People used to ask me for restaurant recommendations. Say, well, we're going to London. I was like, oh, you got to go to to uh, St. John's. Nice. And so I can remember one couple. They were professors at Furman. And they came back raving, and they had taken pictures. Of course, this was you know before everybody was carrying camera phones, but um, they had they had cow lung, right? Yeah. And who would who would eat cow lung? Who would cook cow lung? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, in this in this day and age, and they raved about it. So, do you have a particular bestseller over here at the at the at the butcher shop? So far, my bestsellers have been a few different sausages that I make. Um, some traditional, some not so traditional. The uh, Thai fried garlic sausage that I've I've made has become quite a hit. Um, I got to spend some time in Thailand and uh, love 
you know, different nationalities cooking and uh, different cultures food and incorporated some, some Thai flavors into a, a pork sausage of my own. And it's, uh, became quite a hit since, since yeah. I've opened up there. I've, I've had it and it is quite delicious. So if I walked into your butcher shop today, and I've, and I've been there before, but if I walked in today, uh, this afternoon, what am I going to see? Well, you'd probably see a number of different um, steaks, okay. uh, a few uh, that have bacon wrapped and then dusted with a, a house seasoning, um, some ribeye fillets, some deckle steaks, mm-hmm. um, Maybe a few stuffed pork chops on account of the weather. It's getting a good time of year for right. meatloaf and right. uh, do a Tuscan meatloaf with uh, a sort of a traditional Italian recipe and um, put my own variation on there. And uh, what else? A number of different sausages. Uh, try to keep at least half a dozen different varieties of sausage on hand all the time and then rotating different new ones uh, in every week um, as well as porchetta. You would probably see today. Um, just hope, hopefully, you see something different each time you come. That's kind of my right. goal. So, all right. So, you mentioned deckle. So, tell our listeners what exactly is deckle. The deckle steak comes from the rib loin. It's the cap off of a rib loin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few muscles that make up the the rib eye. Uh, the top part is um, well when you. If you eat a ribeye steak, you get those couple of bites there that just kind of melt in your mouth. Yeah, real, uh, real juicy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I've taken and removed that entire muscle and cut it lengthwise, tied it together, and there you have a duck deckle steak. So it's maybe a little indulgent, but it's a whole steak right. made, made of that <laughs> of that melt in your mouth, buttery uh, ribeye. Yeah. Uh, piece of the of the yep. loin there. Yep. Exactly. Last time I was there, I got a couple of ribeye fillets mm-hmm. and that were bacon wrapped and dusted, and they were quite wonderful, uh, especially when grilled over um, hickory nuts. Tell us how how that is made. That's probably my best selling steak, and it's uh, kind of a staple there at the shop. It's it's one that I that I carry most most days of the week, um, and it's basically the remaining muscle that. Uh, that wasn't taken off with the cap. Okay. And uh, it's kind of cylindrical, and when you cut it, it resembles a filet mignon, mm-hmm. hence the name mm-hmm. filet. And then uh, what could be better than adding, you know, some some nice smoked bacon to the outside and right, right. a light dusting of some seasoning, and it's and ready it to roll. And it's bacon too, right? Yes, sir. That's it's the best. I think yep. I I carry it in my shop there, and uh, a light dusting of seasoning that way it's ready to throw on on the grill or in your hot skillet. Yep. Now, have you been to uh, Benton's Bacon in East Tennessee? Regrettably, I've not visited the smokehouse yet. Yeah, but it's it's definitely. Yeah, uh, I've been there twice. Maybe three times. Yeah. I've I visited it in, in pictures, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. I haven't physically been in the in the shop yet. I'd I'd love to go for sure. Alan, so if you're not if you don't know, Alan Benton has had a smokehouse for and that and that was not Jeremy's stomach growling. That was our dog Otis. alan benton has had a uh, i think he's second or third generation has a smokehouse in east tennessee it's uh about 40 miles from chattanooga and my wife is 40s or 50s i believe it's been yeah yeah exactly and and it hasn't i don't think it's changed and john fleer who's a chef in uh, Asheville now but at the time he was the executive chef at blackberry farm 
So John Fleer is the guy that really put him on the map. So he, John Fleer started, he was all about uh, his local products and and um, Blackberry Farm is near Knoxville. And so John started featuring his bacon. And, I mean, this is probably going back 25 years or so. And then he started to write about it, and it would appear on his menus. And, and then Alan Benton's bacon started to take off. And I remember reading about uh, John Flair and maybe the James Beard uh, magazine. And... And I was like, oh, we got to get some Benton's bacon the next time. We have, my wife is from Tennessee, and so we still have friends in Chattanooga, Knoxville, whatever. So we get up there often. It's quite humbling to, to walk in. You know, so I had this, the first time I went, I had this, this picture of like this, you know, oh, it's going to be this grand white castle on top of a shining hill. And right, but it's right. still pretty, <laughs> no, it's pretty rugged. It's yeah. very much so. Very much so, you know. And there's, there'll be people, in line, there'd be people that walked there and people that drove like 500 miles. To- <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Back to those ribeyes. They were quite delicious. <laughs> quite delicious. So that's what y'all should go get, right? All right. So the seasoning blend that you put on those, is that something that you mix up or? I make a couple in-house uh, seasoning blends. I also have one um, that I often use from uh, Daniel Dobbs, the chef up sure. at Roost. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that could have been the one you had. I also make a nice uh, coffee rub and a couple of other seasoning blends that I use there in the shop. So it's just kind of a the house blend, what you may or may not be getting that week. With the growth of Greenville, we have really seen a um, resurgence in the amount of places where we can shop, right? I mean, now we've got a Harris Teat on Augusta. We're about to get a second one um, in the North Point area. Uh Fresh Market has expanded. Uh, Lowe's, my personal favorite grocery store. So why is somebody... Sprouts, oh, yeah. Whole yeah. Foods. Yeah, haven't been to Sprouts yet, but yeah, Whole <laughs> Foods. Why would somebody come buy meat from you over going to one of these catch-all gro- big grocery stores, commercial grocery stores? Hopefully I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a few things uh, I think that, that are important to shopping for meat somewhere like myself, uh, as opposed to uh, a chain store. Uh, for one thing, I have a n- number of customers that text me <laughs> and direct message me through Instagram. How many butchers do you know that that you can that you can communicate directly right? with like that? None. So, none. Well, one. I, <laughs> exactly. I know one. Just I know one. one guy. So, <laughs> so I think that. That's a huge deal. Um, just that that personal level, and and maybe whether it's not whether or not communicating through uh, social media or texting, but to be able to come in and and have a, a personal name basis with your with your butcher. I am the local butcher shop. Uh, I'm I'm not a chain, and I try to try to in hand um, support as many other locals and the local economy and local farmers as well. Yeah, none of those other grocery stores are making their own sausage. Um, I think they may. That's a, another big factor. Would yeah. be. I don't think any of them are doing the the cool custom cuts like you are. Um, much less selling. I think you can get a little bit of local product over at uh, Whole Wallet, um, but it's that's kind of a it's such a challenge to get in and out of that place too. No, and, that's true. It's on the yeah. other side of town. Yeah, yeah, the unique. Unique sausages, um, you, you can't yep. get those anywhere else in the world. Some of the ones that I made because, well, they're, they're my own, my own creations. 
Yeah. And then the the personal you know, personal touch mm-hmm. um, would be would be a big factor. I grew up in a small town in South Louisiana called Laplace, and we were on the Mississippi River about 25 miles west of New Orleans. And the next town over was called Preserve, and there was this butcher there, um, Cox's Meat Market. And he had a little shop on the river, but he also had a truck. Um, You know, a Grumman panel truck looks just like today's food trucks. And so five days a week, it it was him and his brother, Dale, I can't remember his brother's name, so five days a week, one of them would be in the truck, and they came through our neighborhood on Thursdays, and he had this air horn. You could hear his air horn, and so I was, you know, in the summertime, five, six, seven years old or whatever, you'd hear Mr. Cox's air horn around the corner, and you'd get ready, right? <laughs> nice. And so you, you would go onto his truck, and he had, he made his own sausage, and it was usually an emulsified sausage and a smoked sausage you made on Dewey. He had chickens. He had steaks. And then he had some dry goods and some some local produce. So it was this little miniature meat market on wheels that and came so around. Cool. I know it was just so cool. And I, and you know you don't think about it when you're when you're growing up. You just think, well, this is just the way life is, yeah. right? And now, I mean, how cool would that be to have a food truck, but with you know custom steaks and uh, the local meats and yeah. custom spice blends and. And he always had, of course, he always had candy for the little kids, you know. Having a mobile butchery is is certainly something I, I thought of uh, when thinking about how to start my business in, in butchering. And it's definitely something I'd still consider, and especially the delivery aspect it would be right. something yeah. I, I wouldn't press towards as I grow. So. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Now, I've uh, grown up in the, in the South. Um, we probably both of us may have hunted. I mean, I was I, I hunted in um, as a young man, and I've also you know living here on the farm, I've occasionally butchered um, my own birds. Usually, it's a rooster because too many roosters are bad for the flock, <laughs> right? Yeah. But we have turkeys, so Thanksgiving is coming up. I'm going to butcher a turkey for Thanksgiving. It's not an easy thing to do because you're taking a life, but I believe that it's something we should all do. Because once you've done that, if you've done it once, you will never waste another drop of meat in your life, hmm. right? Yeah. So if you if you butcher that bird, if you if you butcher a, a, a chicken with your own hands, then what I'll do after is is you know everything gets used, even if I can. So some of the feathers get uh, given away. The the um, the innards the the entrails the the bones I'll make a stock out of nothing gets nothing goes to waste mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because you, that's once you take a life you know you're not going to waste it and as Americans I've read that we waste about forty percent of our food mm. and I would love to be able to change that the question for you is as a as a butcher is can meat be ethical. I think it absolutely can be ethical and and is ethical in a lot of uh, a lot of ways in our country. Uh, still, um, you know, having come from an agricultural background as a country, butchering your own mm-hmm. your own animal, your own chicken or turkey, like you said, was commonplace right. just just a couple of generations ago. Uh, everybody's grandma used to know how to wring a chicken's neck and make Sunday dinner out of it. Uh, but, you know, now um, we, we've distanced ourselves a little bit from it. Um, 
a lot more urban dwelling and a lot less agricultural uh, lifestyle in our country. Um, so that that changed things big time um, with having to feed masses, but the masses not raising and you know slaughtering their own animals. Um, so definitely, definitely had some some drastic changes over a couple of generations. I think the best way that I can participate in this is to help teach and educate people and the, the way that I've been taught. And um, I intend to hold some classes and teach some basic knife skills and some, some basic butchery skills um, there, there at the shop and, and as I go along. Uh, because I think uh, the, more, the more we know about where, where it comes from and, and how to do it, like you said, you're less inclined to waste... You can't really make a law about not wasting. You're right. Yeah. As a, as a young cook, I worked in um, a hotel in Charleston. Uh, we did actually two hotels. Both hotels did big Sunday brunches, right? Of course, it's a big buffet, and and boy, I tell you, it you know when you work in the back of a kitchen like that, and you see the amount of waste. I mean, it was routine that you would see plates come back into the kitchen with six or seven items on the plate and maybe one or two bites taken out of each different item you know they got a little bit of everything and then they and they just and they just took a couple of bites and then the rest of it just ends up ended up in the garbage can it's tough it's oh. tough to see it go in the trash oh. um, my grandma made us clean our plates for that very reason i think you know having grown up in the depression and things like that yeah. you kind of Learn to be appreciative of what you had. So it kind of goes back to that, just just you yeah. know yeah. awareness and yeah. If we and if we use any, uh, if we lose anything here on the farm, it all ends up in the compost bin. So <laughs> scraps of of this and that goes right back into the compost. Used, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So your mentor is coming over to see you, right? Okay. You've got seven days to prepare, and I know you said he's passed away, but but let's just let's just say. You know the most special, hypothetically. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. hypothetically speaking. Okay, very special gentleman's coming over. You got seven days to prepare. What are you going to make for him? That's uh, that's pretty easy. I think um, I think I'd make a stuffed rabbit with my my house made sausage, uh, my farmhouse sausage, and um, probably some roasted vegetables there with it. Mm-hmm. How would you stuff that rabbit? I'd stuff it with onions and garlic and. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my house sausage, and then, you know, probably just surround it with uh, a whole lot of uh, good fresh vegetables, yeah. um, sweet potatoes, potatoes, carrots, onions. Would, would you, uh, which bones would you take out of the rabbit? I may rib, take the rib bones out and, right. okay. and to wrap the, to wrap it around the, the stuffing, but whole or, or some deboned is, is not, a, not too big a deal. Yeah. Okay. That sounds delicious. Now let's say you got favorite aunt and uncle coming over, and you've only got like eight hours to get ready. Whatever yours, you know, you got to bring something home from work or whatever. You know, they, they've called you. They're like on the highway, Jeremy. We're gonna come. You know, eight, what, what are you gonna do for them? Uh, chuck roast <laughs> in the Dutch oven. Right, exactly. Put it on in the morning and. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, remind us now, Jeremy. How do we? How does somebody somebody's listening? They want to they want to order from you or they get something from you. How are they going to do that? There's any a number of ways. The email me. That's okay. uh, that's primary, I think, and okay. that's an easy one. That's order 
at revivalbutchery.com. All right. As simple as that. But if we want to walk in, come come see the shop. Please, please come on down. And you share it with, who do you share that location with? It's a commercial kitchen, so okay. um, I share it primarily with uh, Naked Pasta. Okay. And there's also Christy, some, yeah. mm-hmm. and there's also some food trucks uh, that use the kitchen space, as well as some caterers, um, a granola company. There's a lot of folks that come in and out of out of the space okay. uh, when when somebody's not there. But when I'm there, I'm open for business and open for retail. And um, and those hours again, ten to two. It's kind of kind of a a broad, fluid hour, okay. but it's uh, ten ten to two uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, 10 to 6.30 p.m. Thursday and Friday, and 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturday. Gotcha. And as I grow, those are subject to change. Okay. All right, Especially good. with the holidays coming. Uh, you're on Instagram at Revival Butchery? That's it. And Facebook? Same. Okay. Yeah. And can we order off of Facebook? or? Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. You can direct message through Instagram. You can order from Facebook, even text message, as we okay. talked about before. So. All right. And so what do you have uh, special that you are preparing for the holidays? Well, for Thanksgiving, we were going to offer fresh local turkeys. There's a, a flock being raised exclusively for revival butchery from nice. Kalen Farms down here in Easley, and they're a really nice uh, meat bird for, for Thanksgiving. Um, I'm going to offer them... He was eyeballing my turkeys when we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still am. <laughs> there was... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to offer them stuffed uh, with my house sausage okay. and okay. apples, uh, as well as offer them brined or seasoned. So wow. you got okay. a few options with the turkeys, or just fresh and, and natural the way they are okay. is an option too. And um, then for uh, Christmas, uh, any anything you can think up, I, yeah. can, I can do it for you for Christmas. Uh, I'm going to specialize this year with a couple of porchettas that I'm going to offer for Christmas. Nice. Um, one of them, the, the more festive, I guess, Christmas one would be cranberry sage and pecan porchetta. And, Excellent. Yeah. Um, then I'll offer a savory one as well. If you don't like the, the, yeah. the sweet cranberries and nuts, there'll be a savory option as well. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today at the studio. And uh, I really love what you're doing. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you're there. And, and that's a... Um, that's a big gamble opening up, uh, starting small and working your way up. So y'all go see him, find him on Instagram, Facebook, uh, order that porchetta or, or pick up a couple of those, um, ribeyes, those bacon wrapped ribeyes for, for dinner one night. You can find me on Instagram at Chef John Malik and the radio show is on Facebook at Tin Roof Farm Radio Show. If you'd like to see photos and links from today's show with Jeremy um, from Revival Butchery, go to our website, Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, and just search Revival Butchery. I'm John Malik, restaurant coach, and I help make restaurants successful. Thank y'all so much. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media, and our music is all gussied up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.